If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by visiting chriscarl.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to both Patreon and PayPal, where you can make donations. Any and all support is massively appreciated, and a huge thank you to everyone that has supported thus far. So today's actually the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st century, which is kind of bizarre. And I just thought I'd shoehorn that in at the beginning because I read that in a meme earlier and I thought it was interesting. I'm really excited about this. We're going to talk about headshots. We're going to talk about the process, the planning, and what to do during, working in the commercial sense. There's loads of stuff we need to get to. But before we do all of that, why is it that you picked up a camera in the first place? Um, Yeah, I actually came to it kind of late. Yeah, I'm 38 now. And I started, I got my first camera when I was 34 as a gift from my girlfriend because I had been taking pictures with the iPhone a lot. And uh, it was a little Sony, you know, 6,000 camera. And um, I I just kind of got obsessed from there, but with no plan, you know, I didn't shoot people. I wasn't comfortable doing anything like that. You know, you just shoot landscapes or, you know, whatever's around you, my cat. And and from there, it just started kind of growing. Like, you know, once I started learning about other photographers who I adore, I started trying to shoot people. And that's kind of, Kind of how it kicked off, you know, very slowly. It took a while to, to get to you know, the point where I am now, where this is how I make my living. But um, yeah, it was just uh, taking pictures of the iPhone got me into photography. So what was it that made you want to start taking pictures of people? Because that's usually something everyone's scared of. I don't know exactly. You know, I, I took pictures of, you know, kind of like obscure stuff. You know, the same stuff we all do, like take pictures of leaves. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I just, I started learning about photographers. I think the first photography book I got was uh, uh, Eggleston. And it was cool to me at the time because he really wasn't shooting portraits of people. He was just shooting things. So it just seemed very relatable. And I think the more I learned about, you know, like the dudes um, that I dig, like, you know, I, for me, Irving Penn is like the guy. Uh, seeing his portraits, I just saw, I saw that stuff and I was like, I want to emulate that. I want to do that. But then once I started shooting them, I realized um, how important how important it was to be um, kind of connecting with people on that level. And it really just became something I'm now obsessed with and do every day. And I, at the at the end of the day, it's like the, you know the technology and stuff got me into it. But being able to work with people, hear their stories, um, kind of learn what they know is really kind of what keeps me juiced and going every day. So something that you do, which which I think is um, a really underappreciated thing for those that want to photograph people, the most common thing that everyone does, and I did it, and everyone I know basically that does uh, photography of people, they go and find models. You photograph a lot of actors, performers. What's the benefit of photographing a performer versus someone who's just a model? And I don't mean that to be, you know, mean. No, no, no. Uh, modeling is tough, man. A good model is like a serious uh, craft. But yeah, I, I, there, there's a vulnerability, I think, with people that are performers and creatives. Um, and I think those kinds of people understand the importance of the image and photography. And, you know, they're, they're good co-conspirators at the end of the day, which is, re- you know, really what I look for. Like, you know, I've definitely, you know, shot some like, e-com stuff and some model stuff and I, you know, I'll still do it. But, you know, that, that's a different kind of trade that those people are trained in models. 
where creatives and performers and you know dancers and the kind of people I work with, um, you know, they're really trying to express themselves. I think that's a little bit of the difference. I think a good model expresses themselves too, but um, for, for for actors and those kinds of creative folks, I feel like the the nerves a little more raw, and so you can really uh, dig with them, find something, and get a picture that you know. What I'm trying to do every time is take a picture that stays with them, you know, for the entirety of their life. So that they're just wonderful participants, and there's an openness. I think that's really what I appreciate. Well, something that's really difficult about photographing people that you don't deal with if you photograph landscapes or if you do still life work or or photograph inanimate objects is you have to deal with the personality dynamic. And with photographing performers, I'm imagining that you're encountering an awful lot of big personalities, people that have sort of a lot of presence or they have a lot of preference in, in the way that they conduct themselves and, and the people around them. How do you go about negotiating that, that personality dynamic and, and coming out, you know, favorable? I, I do it a couple of different ways. Like before I shoot, I, I, if I can get the person on the phone, I'll always talk to somebody on the phone. Um, because I try to put myself in their shoes, you know, whether they're, you know, kind of new or, or they've been around and know what's up. Um, I, I really want to get a little bit of a sense for who they are, and I can I can talk I can hear that when I talk to people um, just over the phone, like you know how quickly they speak, you know where they hang their words, you know stuff like that. It kind of gives me a little insight, just a little into their personality. And so knowing that stuff beforehand, and the research I do on everybody beforehand, you know, I do deep uh, Google dives on folks generally, which is probably going to freak them out, but. Um, it's all these little little cues I can figure out that kind of inform me about that person and help me shape how I approach that shoot. Because it's different for everyone. Everybody's different. Um, and I think if I didn't do that, I, I would I'd end up with photos that look like, you know, only, you know, Matt Callish photos, where I'm just like imprinting my vision on them. But to me, that's not what's going to lead to the most um, effective portrait. If that makes sense. No, 100%. And I think that having some humility from the point of view of being the person that's not being photographed um, is always good because there's always an essence of trust involved when someone's taking a picture. On your website, you have a quote, which is, what I do is not complicated. And that's something that I always say about photography is that the actual technical side of it is vastly overstated in terms of the, the complexity of it. You know, you a humble person when it comes to photography. Do you look outside of just taking the picture is where your skill lies? Yeah, I've learned that that's the job, actually. You, you know what I mean? Like the technical stuff just gets you to the party, so to speak. Like you have to learn it. It's, it's, you have to know. But to, I, I think, kind of go, you know, in the direction that I'm going and that I want to go and where I plan to be, um, that's the job. It's, it's the working with the people, you know, because when you're shooting folks, the lighting doesn't need to be super slick or complicated or anything like that, especially for a real honest portrait. That's what you're going for. Um, it's really about, you know, getting this person to um, become part of the process. That's, to me, that's, that's, that's when I start getting the good pictures. You know, I don't want someone that is performing for me, performing to think how they want to look. You know, I, I'm pretty good at like, like brushing that stuff aside and saying, like, no, no, let, let's let's bring it back. You know, I want to, I want to, you know, get your interpretation of this or whatever. Um, 
and you know it's all leading towards a more honest portrait you know nothing's totally honest with photography but like uh, i'm trying to get really close <laughs> well when when i ask this question i do apologize if this sounds a little bit daft but you're in a vastly different universe than, than i'm in in terms of you know what you've done and the opportunities that are around you because of your location and and everything else but when it comes when it comes to your work are you photographing with one one eye on your whole portfolio and making sure that every image you take is sort of diegetic to that portfolio or are you open to doing stuff that falls outside of i guess the way you put it was what is a, a matt callish image Honestly, and this this is going to sound like a, to use your English word, adapt answer, but like, that's what I do every shoot. You know what I mean? Like every shoot is me focused on that person, um, kind of focused on, you know, their mannerisms and, and their, their energy and their attitude, how they feel about me, which I can tell generally. Um, and if there's a, you know, some kind of discordance, how do I get around that and make this person trust me? So like... I, I really feel like every picture I take, it's like a 50-50 deal. So I think part of me is in there for sure. And, you know, my, my aesthetic and, you know, that, all that kind of stuff, how I process and edit. But the other half is the person. So it, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's really how um, I think a big part of the look I've uh, uh, been able to come up with is really thanks to the people that I work with. And them trusting me. And that, that sounds corny, but I, I really do mean it. Well, sticking on the corny theme, you know, to your to your mind and and in your in your opinion, what's where's your greatest satisfaction in photography? Because obviously, you get published, you have clients, you have clients' reactions when they see what it is that yeah. you've done. You have that self validation when it comes to your opinion of your own work. Obviously, social media spends most of its time tickling people's feet. So, what's the greatest satisfaction in photography for you? It can change. I think when it first started out, uh, you know, the, the little bit of, uh, you know, love and adulation you get from people you don't know kind of boosts you up. But, but that's for like, you know, social media and stuff. But that's fleeting. And I think uh, I, I'm really careful never to like believe your own hype. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I, I've taken some okay pictures. I'm not sure I've taken great pictures yet. Um, and But that's just where I'm going. So I, I really try not to worry too much at this point about, you know, people's opinions of the work. Like I always want a customer to be happy. You know, I always want uh, uh, them to feel like, you know, we, we really capture, you know, a part of time uh, in a great photo for them. Like I have to do that. But um, uh, just seeing the, the, uh, reaction I get from the subjects I'm working with in the moment, that time I spend with them in the studio, that's extremely satisfying for me, uh, especially when it's clicking. And, um, you know, like the, the images where, where you look back and you're like, I can't believe I got that shot. That's a great feeling when that happens, because you know there's something else at play. You know, I, I wouldn't be um, uh, uh, so self-assured to think that, you know, any great picture I get is because of me. You know what I mean? There's something else going on, I think. Uh, but it's my job to set that stage so that can happen. So you mentioned going back that this has all been quite quick for you. Like you're you're quite a recent photographer. Yeah. What what was the the key to improving quickly? Because there's plenty of people out there with a camera that have been doing the same thing wrong for 20 years, and they could say they've been a 
they've got 20 years experience, but they've just had the same one day over and over again. What was, what was your key to, to getting better quickly? Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean. I think um, I, I did have a little bit of understanding beforehand was like an appreciation for design. Um, you know, I, I had known graphic designers and I always dug graphic design books, just, you know, going to Barnes and Noble or, you know, whatever bookstore. Um, you know, I played music for a lot of years. So like I was able to develop taste that way. It's kind of about developing a taste. Um, you know, learning what's good, learning what's, uh, you know, maybe not as good or just trendy as opposed to timeless, which I'm really, I stay away from as much as I can. Um, and so once you strip that away, you can find the stuff that is, you know, timeless forms, timeless shapes, you know, what's worked through the histories of like art, essentially, um, and apply those things to photography when I came to it a little later. So to me, it's like about developing the taste level. And you do that by studying, I think, um, you know, the people that came before you, like the masters. Uh, and, and, and like, I'm going to sound like an old photographer guy here, but like, I, I don't feel like enough people do that because I see the stuff on Instagram that people are doing. And like, I know exactly what that's directly influenced by. Like, I can tell with most stuff where they're coming from, but I'm not sure sometimes that those photographers know who they're, you know, borrowing from. So I think having right. a, an understanding of what came before you, um, you know, can really help you go forward. And I mean, if you're going to borrow someone's idea, like you better know you're doing it, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think that, you know, there's a, there's a, a debt owed to yourself in the sense that when you take on something that has as much history as photography or, or anything else that you actually immerse yourself a little bit in that history. And I mean, you brought up something there, which I think is just so underrated. While people are watching hour upon hour of YouTube videos of, you know, the latest gear being released or they're, they're flicking through Instagram and they're, you know, they're looking at images that have been edited to the point of death or, or whatever. And they're constantly looking for that next foot up. Really, you mentioned it, which is to develop taste. And that's just such an underappreciated skill. You know, it's funny, like, you know how people talk about everybody has a camera, you can't be a, you know, working photographer, blah, blah, blah. Like, maybe to a degree that's true, but I, I really feel like my job is like, um, uh, have it, like having a certain taste level. And this work gets overused too much, but like in a vision, like you got to have an idea of what you're, what you want something to look like. The gear at this point is not the barrier to entry. You know what I mean? Like it's cheap and it's all really good. The the thing that I think is going to put you in that uh, echelon where you can actually, you know, your work is valued by, you know, people wanting to pay for it is your taste level essentially. And like, how do you apply that to the, you know, people and things that you work with? I think that's really the job. So when people talk about the tech part, everybody has a camera, everybody has an iPhone. I don't sweat that. I really don't because, uh, you know, I, I'm repeating myself, but like, really, I think at this point I get paid for um, my taste level and my you know ability to come up with ideas and how I work with people. Like that, that's the gig. That's the gig. We're now working in photography in any commercial sense in quite a lot of people's, uh, I, I think assumption less than opinion. I think that it's more of an instinctive assumption than a, than a created opinion is that working commercially would limit creativity because you have to give up so much creative control and you also have to work to the confines of what sells in, in, in some 
sort of sense. You know, I, I guess I'll ask you just outright, does commercial photography limit your creativity? No, I really don't think it does. But it, I, I also approached it in a way... Yeah, okay, because I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, when I, when I first started, I, I, I think younger photographers, you know, their journey um, can kind of look at, you know, people that shoot, I don't know, real estate, people that shoot headshots. is like, that's kind of whack. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's not cool, that kind of thing. And I was kind of one of those people, too, initially. Um, but, I, you know, as I started uh, getting asked by actors, essentially, um, to shoot pictures for them, I realized, like, there's a ton of creativity because you're working with creative folks. It's like, it's a funnel um, that's coming through of like people that are open-minded. It's, it's really wonderful. So like, sure. Sometimes someone will come in and, you know, like, let's say it's a, like an actor headshot, basic actor headshot. Um, you know, they'll need something that's going to work in order to get them money. That's part of their, you know, materials as a working actor. That's why they hire you, part of it. Um, but I'm always able to put in uh, something cooler and, you know, much more like portrait oriented of this person. And it's uh, very appreciated by them. And it really satisfies me. You know what I mean? So, like, because I'm doing this commercially, I have access to more people um, than I ever had before. So I would say, like, it pushes me to keep coming up with ideas. I mean, you're pretty much leading me exactly on to my next question, which is, that's always serendipitous when it happens on the podcast. But you live in LA, and I think that there's a huge paradox with LA, which is that there's you have the opportunity, because there's so many people that work within the creative fields. It's like the hub of the whole of, you know, Western culture tends to move towards California. But with that opportunity, so many people know of that opportunity, so they move towards it. So you end up with more and more competition. I just find, I find like sort of that there's a bit of a paradox of LA or a bit of a contradiction in terms, a bit of a catch 22 there in the sense that, you know, does the competition sometimes make it harder than it would be in somewhere where there was maybe a little bit less opportunity, but also less competition? Not quite. I don't know because I'm actually from Los Angeles myself too. Um, but I, you know, being in a breeding ground where like, you know, talented people come, I, I think hopefully the cream rises to the top generally. Yeah. I think if you're trying to jump into the commercial part right away, I think it would be hard. Um, I, because there's just fierce competition and like, you know, there, there's a lot of creative folks doing that kind of work. But, you, you know, if you can develop your, your sense of taste, style, all that kind of before you, you go after that commercial work, um, I think you'll stand a better chance. Because, you know, if you come in copying somebody else's look or vibe, number one, you won't do it as good. You just won't. Um, and, and number two, like the world's too saturated for that. It just is. Like you, you really have to come with an idea. And, and that idea may not be that popular. It may not be cool at the time. Um, but that's kind of the, the hand you got to play and, and, you know, convince people that what you're doing is important. So I think it takes like, you know, a, a good amount of confidence, um, you know, that kind of work beforehand, like we talked about doing the, um, uh, you know, understanding kind of where you come from and, and kind of how you want it to look. So I, yeah, LA is probably tough for that, but, um, I don't know. I, competition does good things too. I mean, let's talk about you as a photographer. Now that you're in the position that you're in right now, obviously 
this isn't the end chapter of, of what you're doing. It's, it's just we're picking out this one, one section of your life. But with regards to like how your time breaks down in the position that you're in, how much time do you spend planning for shoots? Because obviously if it's commercial, I'm imagining quite a lot of the creative control is taken away from you. How much, how much time do you spend like looking for inspiration? It's actually crazy. The, the busier I've gotten, the less I'm looking for inspiration, which sounds weird. And actually, I'm like almost too busy now at this point. But uh, a, a lot of my job now is getting ready for the shoots, like getting the studio ready, getting the, the everything I need there, getting the makeup artist, you, you know, all that you know, pre-production bullshit um, that nobody really wants to do but you have to, you, you know? So uh, the, the shooting at this point is the easiest thing I do. Cause once I'm in that studio with that person, you know, and I don't shoot very fast, you know, I try to get people in there for a couple hours. Um, it, it's, it's kind of my happy place. You know, it's all the stuff I have to do beforehand. It's kind of the, that pre-production the phone calls. Cause I talk to everybody before I shoot them, you know, communicating with the studio, the stylist, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of, the majority of the work I'm doing now, which is kind of a bummer if I sit and think about it, but there's no other way to do it <laughs> if you are climbing the ladder. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you mentioned these phone calls a couple of times now and purely for my own ignorance, what's the conversation like when you're speaking to people that you're going to photograph? Interestingly, most people are really open to it, which I, you know, you think people don't want to talk on the phone, but I, I, I think when they're, they know something like this is going to happen where they're going to, in order to get a good picture, because they want a good picture too, they're, they're going to need to be open, you know, as much as they can. So, you know, I, I kind of talk to people. I just ask them where they're from. I say, you know, how's your, you know, if they're a dancer, you know, how's your dance career going? How's your acting career going? Like, where are you stumbling? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but really, I try to bring it back to personal. Like, do they, if they have pets? Do, do we talk about their pets? Like, what part of the city do they live in? And it's really just to get that little bit of level of comfort um, beforehand. Because I think walking into the studio cold, if I did that, I, I would, and I kind of mentioned this before, it would start to become much more of a Matt Callish picture as opposed to, like, a collaborative picture. Right. And, and it's my belief that because, I, you know, I work for the artist. You know what I mean? No matter what, that's uh, kind of how I started my business. Is like I work for the artist, uh, and I, you know, I respect that because I understand where they're coming from. Um, but really, it's just to to read that little bit of familiarity beforehand, and I think it makes a big difference because when the person comes into the studio that day, I think they're a little less um, guarded. They're a little more warmer. You know, they have a little sense of me because I'll tell them about about myself a little bit. Um, and I think it just starts that um, breaking down of barriers. So that's kind of the reason I do it. And then selfishly, if I can tell someone's nervous or someone's way outgoing and I can really push them and do some cool stuff, that kind of helps me gauge how I move through the shoe. Where if I had just met them and they're acting cold or something, um, I may not be able to tell uh, real quickly, like, wait, is this person just not want to be here? Or are they just nervous about it? You know what I mean? Or am I intimidating them? Or, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to gauge that as accurately as quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, something that always jumps out at me with with working in America, and I spend a lot of time in America, but not working, mm. 
is is the difference in just the personality. Like what I would see as being a very common trait in in England, in Great Britain in general, but in England is we we don't trust too much enthusiasm. We don't we don't like people that are, are too happy to be around you because it's very suspicious. It is. <laughs> when you have someone come in the studio and they are like you said they're very outgoing is I, i'm imagining because you're californian that, that i'm about to ask a question that's almost alien but is there a case where they could be sort of too excited to be there or or too pumped up and kind of too much energy for you to do what you need to do yeah okay so um it, it's funny you say that because i i have an attitude probably much more uh like uh like your british attitude where I, anytime it, I'm going to sound like a dickhead, but anytime anybody's, you know, really overly enthusiastic, I just imagine deep down, they're just so pissed off and they're just like <laughs> keeping that alive, right? They're like, I'm like, you're hiding something. I know you're hiding something. Um, but yeah, sometimes you do get that. And like, especially um, sometimes it can happen with actors where I think they think that's how they're supposed to be, you know, very energetic, like I'm up for anything. Let's do it. And, and that's cool. Like, I want people to feel um, that way, but I, I don't meet them at that enthusiasm because it, I, I, it wouldn't feel authentic to me. So I, you know, I, I, I gauge their excitement, all that kind of stuff. And then I maybe try to bring it back down a little personal, sort of to my level to, you know, to go after what I'm going for. Cause I don't want to shoot some bright, you know, ridiculous smile that, you know, is clearly put on. Like, I don't, I don't want that picture. Um, but everybody's got a story, man. And everybody's got like these levels to them. You know, they can have their outside face where they're, you know, you know, by being happy and excited, people respond to me better. So I'm going to be that guy. Like I get that. That's some, how some people, you know, work through life. They have to, but, um, but there's levels like that personality trait is not the whole story. And I'll usually try to go, um, a little, I don't know, like subterranean of that and see what else is there and where I can connect with them on that more um, uh, either emotional level or, you know, kind of something that I can find in common with them. That's kind of how I deal with that because I also, and especially for images, I don't want that ridiculous over the top, I'm performing for you kind of thing. It's just not what I do. I mean, I imagine as well that something that you encounter quite a lot is people that have a character as opposed to just being themselves. And I remember reading years, I think it was about two years ago, but I might, do you know what? It feels like 10 years has passed in the last 10 months. So God knows I've got no concept of time anymore. Um, But I remember reading a quote from Margot Robbie, where she said that one of her most hated things is when she goes for a photo shoot and the photographer tells her to be herself. And she said, if I wanted to be myself, I wouldn't have ever become an actress. And I thought that was such an interesting thing because I feel like so many people in photography, when they get a celebrity, they want to take the revealing picture that shows the person behind what everyone else knows. And there's kind of, there's quite an interest there for the photographer to seem like they almost have an inside track on that. Are you photographing characters or are you photographing the the person that is an actor? I, I try to, I separate the character as the work. So, you know, the, when, I, when I think of someone that's doing a character or like, you know, they're a performer, so that's how they're on. I really try to think like of all the time they spent like crafting that, um, those skill sets. And so that's how I can kind of separate it. Like it's still, you know, massively respect that and the, the amount of work and kind of like where this is coming from and try to understand it. Um, 
And I think that's the best way to do it as opposed to just taking that character as like, oh, this is who they are. I, I really try to think like, how'd they get here? How much work did it take to get them there? And to me, that's an interesting um, way to, to hit the picture so that it's not some contrived, like, uh, uh, you know, you make them feel emotional or, or make the picture feel emotional so that you're, you're getting the inside track on it, like you said. Um, you know, because if you do that, that would be disingenuous. You know, um, which I don't think would, I mean, maybe it'll work to some viewers that that seems real. That's cool. But for me, that's not, um, that's not interesting. I, I, if I, if I see someone that's a performer over the top, I really try to think of like all the work they're doing, uh, that skill set, and then kind of relating to them on that level, as opposed to just the character. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It's, um, uh, yeah, I, I just kind of think of the person's journey, so to speak. Yeah. And so I, I get the shot from there because I respect that hard work and the, you know, the, the need and the desire uh, to, to get that act together so that they can, you know, be appreciated, make a living, work, all that stuff. You know, like we're all the same, man. You know, um, we all have the same motivations and same fears and worries. Some people just package it differently. When I photograph someone for the first time, if I haven't if I haven't spoken to them before, and I, I don't do I don't do the phone call, which is maybe something I need to address. Um, surprisingly, as someone that spends almost every single day on the phone with a completely random new person trying to get them to spill their guts about their entire history, I don't actually like spending time on the phone. Um, so maybe that's something I need to sort out. But the first thing I want to do when I get into a, into a studio or, or or to shooting anybody new is is before I pick up the camera, I want to have a conversation with them just so that I can kind of see about their energy levels and see if, if we can match up, if, you know, I can be complimentary to that. Does the phone call that you make or does any kind of the pre-communication mean that when they walk in to the studio, you can start shooting straight away or do you still have to have that little bit of time beforehand? I, I still sit down, we sit down in chairs and just kind of talk a little bit. Um, but that's interesting too, because that helps me gauge sort of where that person's at. Like, if someone's just like, you know, rapid fire back and forth with me, quick, excited to shoot, then let's start shooting. But there's some people where they, I feel like they won't, they don't want to get out of the chair. Like they're not ready. Um, they're just unsure either of me or of themselves. And so like, I know I'm eating into the studio time doing that. Um, but it's just the right thing to do because they're not comfortable yet. So, you know, if I didn't have that conversation, I don't think beforehand, I don't think I would have as much insight into how to deal with the person. Um, so it's just as much for me as it is them. But yeah, like when they come into the studio, we talk again, kind of talk about our intentions or whatever. Um, and that kind of gives me an idea how ready someone is, is if they want to talk a lot, there, there, there's, there's a nervousness, there's a little block there, which is cool. I'm aware of it now. But um, yeah, it just depends. And then during the shoot, your directorial style, I mean, something that I've been a, a big proponent of is, is not necessarily doing anything to discourage the person that you're photographing. I feel like no matter how much someone's used to being in front of a camera, you can quite easily put them on the back foot by being negative too much. So, um, so something that I do quite a lot is I work through a scene that's maybe the, the, you know, the expression or the pose or whatever, it just isn't quite there yet. But I'll take a couple of kind of affirmative photos and then negotiate away from it by just making suggestions rather than say, 
no, that's not working and I'm not going to waste a picture on it, which I guess is, is absolutely the beauty of digital photography. What's your, you said you're quite slow with the way that you shoot, but what's your directorial style like? It, it, it kind of changes, but it's sort of like what you said you do is um, I, I build it off the person. You know, I don't do a lot of like, you know, turn your chin here, you know, shoulder down, blah, blah, blah. I really don't do that. I just start to take pictures. I see what's happening, you know, and I gauge their energy. You know, are they, are they nervous? Are they excited? You know, yada, yada. Um, and uh, uh, I'll, when I see them do these little micro adjustments, micro moves that they're not even aware of, then I'll like hype that up. Because I'm like, okay, this is something real to them. This is how they would react in this situation. Like, I want to build up on that. So that, it, again, it all goes back to the point. I don't want it to look like I'm imprinting myself on them totally. Um, I want it to look very natural to them. And that's how I do that, just by kind of watching them and playing up what they do naturally. You know, and if we need to adjust it to make it work for the picture, we do that a little. But I wouldn't want to put someone in some weird situation that... Um, uh, you know, isn't is is too foreign to them. You know, like I do a lot of stuff where um, I have people sit on chairs, I have people lean against walls, um, all that stuff. Because I feel like the way someone does that is is subconscious; they're not thinking about it. Uh, and the way someone sits in a chair, it tells me a little something. Where they, you know, hang over it or or lean on it, that, that, that it just it tells me a little bit more. So I, that's those are kind of the ways I see what's naturally there and then we kind of carve out around that well i'm someone that's completely allergic to talking about gear but i'm kind of curious with this because i feel like most actors you know theater performers people that are looking to work in tv commercials movies whatever are going to be really used to being in front of big continuous lights and the majority of of studio photography in general around the world is done via flash so for what you're doing, are you doing flash or are you doing continuous? Yeah, so I, I shoot probably just as much natural light as I do studio light. So, and, you know, in L.A. we have a lot of sun, so it's, it's not hard to do. Uh, but I'll shoot, you know, I'll use natural light and kind of, you know, either subtract it or bend it or, you know, reflect it. Um, I'll do that kind of thing. And then when I'm using flash, yeah, just using some uh, pulsy buff stuff. You know, like very affordable, easy. Um, you know, I usually use one light, maybe two if I have to. Um, and I, I try to keep it really simple. It, you know, it's because I'm working by myself. So, like, if I had a little crew, I'd, I'd probably rig up more complicated stuff. But for what I'm doing, and kind of the goal for every shoot is to really connect with that person. I can't fuddle with too much gear. It, it just, it'll, it'll become something else at that point. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, so like I use a natural light if it's there, it's great. I love it. And then, um, you know, just, uh, kind of bare bones flashes. I really don't want to talk about gear cause it's just really not in my nature, but I guess to kind of round it off then, what are we using in terms of, of focal lengths and, and, and lenses in general? So the camera I'm using is a Sony a7 III, which, um, it's pretty great. I had an A7 II previously, and that, that was a dog. That did not focus very well, but for what I'm doing, it was cool. So I got an A7 III, and then uh, the lens I use probably 85% of the time is my 85. Um, I use it for full length, for, for tight. I just really like um, that focal length. I, I, I messed 
messed around with Zooms before and I really like them. But it's just it's just one more thing in between me and the person that I got to think about. So I would rather just, you know, like run up to the person and shoot a picture and then kind of run back um, and just keep this, the same focal length on. So, yeah, he's an 85. He's a full frame, you know, Sony camera. Um, and then I have a 50 if I'm feeling feeling crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this next question is going to be a little bit, a little bit long. Um, and it's going to sound awfully broad, but I'm, I've got the opportunity to ask it. So why not? You know, you're a, you're a photographer in LA that photographs actors and artists and people in, in the creative industry. Um, you photograph headshots, which I personally feel like a really undervalued, especially it feels like in England, it's a really undervalued skill and an undervalued mm. thing to get right. A lot of people just think a headshot is a technical term for a photo that has a head in it when in actual fact there's there's an art to it in terms of the interpersonal play between the subject and the photographer there's loads of other stuff that goes into it and the styling and and so much but what is the key to an effective headshot from your experience not just what you want to get from it as a photographer but what the actors and so on are looking for from that headshot so it's, so it's interesting, like there's not a straight answer necessarily. And I'm talking about like the LA market um, because different agencies appreciate different kinds of things. Like, you know, I work with some people where, you know, within my shoots, I shoot a lot of different looks and styles. You know, I'll shoot natural light stuff. I'll shoot studio stuff, you know, dark backgrounds, light backgrounds, you know, hair lights, all, all kinds of different looks that I want to give the actor because I really want to cover them. Um, for you know the 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 jobs that they'll be submitted for, uh, you know sometimes like I, I've been finding now like just a uh, one flash like kind of over the camera right into a white background with just the person. If you can, if that person can hold that frame, that's all you need. Um, not everybody can do that though, so you kind of. Uh, work other angles, you know, people kind of leaning, people kind of doing other things. Just wherever that person starts to look comfortable is where I know we're going to get something um, really good. You know, because I've done, you know, headshots that are, you know, super well flat lit that, that work for the people. And then I do stuff where it's like there's a lot of shadow and it's like just barely a headshot. You know what I mean? It's like on the border of a headshot and like a portrait. And that's work too. Um, so there's really no one size fits all thing. Um, well, one of the things I, I like to do is that, you know, that actor's going to have intentions for like where they want their career to go. Um, and sometimes that can be not in align with the agencies and reps and all that, you know, industry stuff that they deal with. So I, I always want to kind of going back, like I always want to respect and work for the artist. So I want to get them those things that show them. Um, who they want to be, like who they're trying to go for. I think that's really important and an important thing as a photographer because you can really show people how they look in a way that I don't think they always realize. Um, and, and so the, 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 an effective headshot is, I think, sort of just that. It, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's very simple. It's just connecting with that person. Um, and then see, making sure that the intentions of the first person match up with the image you're taking. That, that's a huge part of it. Like, is it the, 
like we, like we said, like the technical part, like that's just getting in the door, you know, from the photographer's point of view. Um, but really what makes an effective headshot is that comfort between me and them. And when they can kind of let that guard down and, you know, not worry about all the industry bullshit they're going to have to deal with after this, I think you can get something, um, and I, and I do really cool and really powerful. I mean, you mentioned agencies there and how does that communication work? Is it actors and actresses and so on that contact you and then they tell you that it's for their agency? Or is it the agency that gets in contact with you and then you go from there? It's both ways. It's both okay. ways. So, but the way I built my business was actors word of mouth because they, I think, um, you know, all right, cause in LA there, you know, there's headshot guys and they really run it like a factory. Like they have numerous actors shooting every day coming in and out, uh, which is, you know, great for making money. But like, I don't have the uh, psychic energy or whatever to do that. I shoot like one person a day. Um, and so because I take a little more time because I, you know, probably because I do things like these phone calls before to kind of gauge where they're at. Um, my, uh, my business was started from word of mouth of other creatives. And then the agency started reaching out to me when I, they saw what I could do. So, um, yeah, like it's both ways, but you know, primarily it's, it's, uh, word of mouth from, from other, you know, creatives and actors. And then if you don't mind me asking about this, I know everybody lives in a world now where we have to pretend on, you know, social media that everything's going great and, and, uh, we're always just succeeding. And every day we're one step ahead of where we were the day before. No one ever has sure. bad days. <laughs> But in reality, we all have bad days. I think quite a lot of us have had bad ones over the past year, for sure. When it comes to photography, when it comes to dealing with a bad shoot, so if you've had a shoot where you don't feel like you really got yourself in gear, you didn't get yourself going properly, or the connection wasn't there, the shots just weren't happening, whatever it might be, what's your process for coming out of that shoot and and you know hitting the ground running again? Yeah, that, that can definitely happen. Um, and I think I'm the same as a lot of creative folks where at times I feel like, you know, like, hey, Matt, you're, you're doing really great work. You're really onto something. And then like the next day, it can be like, I fucking suck. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, like really, it's that dramatic and, <laughs> and uh, overwrought. But like, I deal with that all the time, man. You, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I wish I didn't. I wish I was more even keel. Um, cause it's kind of, you know, mentally exhausting, but, um, I, I think the, 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 that kind of shoot where you're like, you know, you did your job, you did what you're supposed to, but you didn't get those kinds of like what I call banger shots where it's just like, you really connect. Um, I get bummed. It bums me out. It, it really does. Cause I, I question myself, you know, I never blame the subject. I mean, you could, but like, what's the point? It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? The pictures have your name on it. So uh, I I think the best thing I do is just get into the studio and shoot again. And just keep in mind that like, um, which is hard for me because I I live in the moment, so to speak, that like, this is not representative of all the years of work and the insane amount of shoots that you've been doing. You know what I mean? And just... I, I just get back in the studio. I got to shoot again. I probably won't feel good till I shoot again. Not to start a conversation at all about politics, because by God, speaking on behalf of everyone outside of the United States, we are honestly very, very tired of hearing about American politics. I'm sure but you I do are. Remember, 
I do remember a few years ago having a conversation about business with someone who I'm very close friends with, who runs a very successful business. And they said to me, like out of nowhere, because I said I was having you know difficult times kind of generating an interest in what I do and so on. And he said to me, your inspiration should be George Bush. And I said, okay, you're going to probably have to elaborate on that. And he said, look, George Bush was profoundly terrible at everything for a very, very long time and then became president. And if even if you excuse the nepotism that's involved, what he was best at, and maybe there were people that helped him, but what he was best at was hiding previous issues. So, you know, in, in the photographic sense, I guess it would be old work that maybe doesn't paint you in the best light. And because the internet is there forever, someone might search for you and think that that old picture that you were, you know, terrible at editing or, you know, it was an awful concept or whatever is, is speaks to your work. I guess like in a sense, it's, it's a good, uh, one of the best ways to be successful is to be good at covering up mistakes or covering up issues previously. Um, how often do you kind of go through your portfolio and, and pull stuff out that you feel like you've moved away from? And I guess to what extent do you feel like you're always improving as opposed to like rise plateau, rise plateau? Yeah, so I, I, I think I fall into the category of like, I'm probably not the greatest editor of my work, you know, picking and choosing um, what I show. Like, you know, I, I, I definitely struggle with that. You know, because I, I just show stuff that I think is cool, but like what I think is cool might not be what somebody else thinks is cool and I'll never know. So it's just, um, I, I just kind of trust my gut on that stuff. Like I definitely have images. Uh, and actually this happens where I'll, I'll do a shoot. I'll send off the images to the person. I know we got, you know, a handful of really killer shots in there. And then they'll post something from the shoot that I do not love but they think it's the best picture of them. Um, and I think that's just something you've got to deal with. You know, um, I wish I could hold or, you know, have just massive control over everything. But I, I just kind of remind myself that, you know, like it's, and this isn't easy to do. Like I tell myself, it's not all about you. You know, these people, you know, they, they work with you. They gave you something, they hired you. Like, you know, how they use their images, that's, that's their call, you know? Um, you know, they're not going to only show the stuff that you know is really cool um, because they don't, they don't see it the way you do. So I think that's just part of the game. I mean, you can, you can control your stuff on your, your website and your social media channels, but everything else, you know, it's kind of like, like songwriters or whatever, like, you know, you write a song, you understand what it means. You know what it means to you. You send it off to the world and everybody interprets it a different way. And that's not your job anymore. You know what I mean? Like your job was already done. Like my job was in the studio, taking those pictures, getting those handful of ones that I know are very good and have a timeless quality to them. And then I just have to keep looking forward onto the next. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned interpretation there and, and that's a really big thing at the moment. I feel like it's a weird unintended consequence of um, social media is that a lot of people that are creating things believe that they're in control of the interpretation. And that's completely ridiculous. I know um, Tarantino said about people going to see his films, that if a million people go and see one of his films, 
then they've seen a million films because every one of them is going to take something different from what they've seen. And, and I really feel like that's something that's also been lost recently is this idea that you have to almost answer every question for the audience. And I think that probably massively goes outside of photography, but in any kind of creative sense, if you're always trying to answer on behalf of the person that's viewing something, if you're always dumbing it down, you're taking out that complexity of, of what it is that you're doing. And that can be, I mean, that, that can just diminish the skill that you have as an artist. And also it shows that you just don't appreciate the audience as much. I think that's, I, I think it's a, it's a lesson like photographers or anybody doing digital stuff in this world, like you, you need to accept, you know, like things get shared. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to control it. People are going to look at one of your pictures that somebody posted that you don't love and they're going to think you suck and there's nothing to do. Like to that person, you suck. Like the only uh, uh, thing you're in control of is like the next shoot, you know, is like keep going. I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing though. It's like a constant struggle for sure. But um, the, the only thing you're in control of in that situation is the next, uh, is the next booking, is the next person you're shooting and, you know, trying to create the best image you ever shot in that next shoot. Well, massive thank you for taking the time to do this. I have one more question and then I'll let you be free from having to listen to me speak. But um, my one question, it, it, it might come across as a bit of a Debbie Downer to start with, but I'm hoping that over time, it's going to be an interesting thing to listen back to. Um, and that's why I'm going to go ahead and put this in as the last question. So I obviously, I'm a, well, not obviously, but I am an enormous movie fan and the production of movies has slowed down greatly as has everything else um, other than political discourse over the course of the last year with the pandemic and all of the associated lockdowns and so on. I'm sure that in some ways that that has hit your, your side of things pretty hard um, or, or there will be at least some kind of whiplash effect. And I also know that you happen to be in an area where, you know, someone called Newsom has any kind of uh, influence, which is basically a crime in itself. How bad has it been in terms of slowing down things for you and and how optimistic are you for, say, the rest of this year? Okay, yeah. So especially at the beginning, like, I don't know, the first six months of the lockdown, um, it was bad news, man. Like, it was really bad news. Like, nothing was happening. I was sitting in the backyard with my cat, uh, literally taking pictures of leaves. I, I would go for walks in the morning, grab leaves that I'd find on the ground that looked cool or broken or whatever, I'd bring them back to the backyard and then shoot them like on a white piece of paper. That was like one of my daily rituals. So I, you know, didn't get too depressed um, that nothing was happening. Uh, and I did that for a long time. And like, I, you know, I watched old movies that I had never watched and kind of did that, you know, self-reflective thing that I think a lot of people did. And then I just started booking shoots, just doing, you know, like a, uh, test shoots, things like that, because I, I needed to work. I, I, you know, I think one of the things we're all finding out now is like people need to have their work. They don't like, you know, mental health really suffered. Um, and so, yeah, it was like nothing was happening. I was, you know, collecting unemployment, doing that whole thing. And then um, work started to come back like the last, I don't know, since October, probably. Maybe a little before September, um, work started coming in. It started trickling, and, and surprisingly, now I'm, I'm actually really busy. And I think it's because of the um, anticipation that uh, you know, because because Hollywood or whatever, like they're not going to stop making shows. 
they need to make shows. Like if people don't have their Netflix or whatever, they're gonna there's gonna be riots in the streets. So um yeah, things started getting busy. People started getting their materials ready and getting all their PR stuff ready um, because they think things are going to open up. Um, and if they do, it'll be great. If they don't, I think I'm going to take another hit for sure. Um, but, but at the moment, I have work coming in, so I'm super grateful. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> the whole point of the podcast in its entirety was it's an opportunity for me to uh, push work that I really like out for other people to find. So de facto, this becomes the the most important part of the podcast. This is where we tell everyone where they can go to find your work. So Instagram, website, and so on, please just plug away so people can come and find you. Sure, sure, sure. So um, my website's mattcalish.com. Um, my Instagram is matt underscore Kalish. And that's it. Come say hi. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's been so great to talk to you. Uh, No, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.